Morning, crew. How are you? You don't have to clap for me, that's okay. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Hey, it's good to be with you. Before we get into our sermon today, I want to uh, let you know of a couple things. One, next Sunday... Uh, we're going to come together with our Spanish-speaking congregation. We do this a few times a year, but we try and do it on uh, this special day of the year called Pentecost. Pentecost is sort of like the birthday for the church. Church is the day where we remember how big and broad and diverse the Church of Jesus Christ is. And so our Spanish-speaking congregation is going to join us. We're coming together with them. And there's going to be Espanol and English and other language, languages sort of erupting from our worship center next week. We did this last year, and it was one of my favorite Sundays of the year. So do not miss Pentecost next week. It's going to be uh, a real special day. Also, um, speaking of birthdays... We happen to have a couple birthdays that land on this very day. A couple people from our congregation who are special. One uh, is a guy by the name of Doug Buchholz. Doug is one of our custodians here. Doug is a guy who not only uh, works here, but he loves people here and he serves here. I'd say Doug was like a, a hospitality ministry in one person. He just pours himself into this place. If you've met Doug, you know Doug. We love you, Doug. It's your birthday. Uh, happy birthday to you. Thanks for all you do for our community. The other birthday isn't maybe quite as joyous, but it is significant um, because it's one of those two-digit birthdays that ends in zero. Uh, this particular birthday has a message and it says... I'm no longer young or hip. It's a birthday that ensures that the words abs or cool hair will no longer ever be attached to your name. In other words, this is a tough birthday, and so this particular individual that I'm going to mention needs some extra encouragement from you, our congregation, this morning. I also have insider information to know that uh, this particular individual has recently purchased a Jeep. Even though they have six children, they bought a Jeep, which tells me that they're teetering right on the edge of a midlife crisis of sorts. And so really today, if you can just give lots of love to our very beloved um, family and children's pastor, Paul Richter, who turns 40 today. There he is. Forty. We hired him when he was a youthful 37. I know how time flies. No, hey, Paul, we, uh, we appreciate you and your wife and family. You guys love our kids and love our people here, and you show us Jesus, and uh, we're so thrilled that you're here, even if you're getting a little older and slower. <laughs> hey, let's pray this morning for Paul and Doug and the rest of our time together. Father, this morning uh, we come before you, and we thank you for the gift of Friendship and laughter and community. We thank you for Doug and Paul. Thank you for the men that they are, and I ask God that you'd bless them and their families in this year that's ahead for both of them. And Lord, looking ahead to tomorrow and Memorial Day, we also give you thanks, God, for the men and women who gave their lives so that we might have freedom in this nation. Father, help us to steward that freedom in ways that honor you, that advance your kingdom in this world. And finally, Lord, as we talk about neighboring again, give us the faith and courage to be your people, uh, to live with you and for you, to make a difference in the lives of those who live right around us. And so this morning, open our minds and hearts that we would be encouraged and inspired and challenged to love our neighbors as ourselves. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. And we pray it all in your name. Amen. 
Well, hey, we're in our uh, fourth and final week of our Art of Neighboring uh, series. This is a series where we've been talking about this, this command where Jesus is asked the most important command. And he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. And then he says, but the second is like it. In other words, there's a part two. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, according to Jesus, at the very center of what it means to be a follower of his a follower of God, a person who represents him in this world, is this very simple and basic command. Love your neighbor. Love the people that live around you in just the way you would love yourself. And and we obviously know that our neighbors include more than just the people that live in proximity to us, but we've said throughout this series that neighbors are not less than those people. And so in this series, we're saying, what does it look like for us to love our neighbors? How can we live out and live into this command and call that Jesus offers us as a church in a way that makes God proud and that advances the kingdom? And this morning, we're going to look at kind of a a unique story to close this series. I took a chance on this. Uh, Mark chapter 5, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, you can follow along on the screen this morning. Um, We're diving into this story, and as we do... We need to know that Jesus and his disciples have been hanging out in the small town of Capernaum for quite a while. Capernaum is, uh, or was a small fishing, small fishing village um, on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's the town that had become home for Jesus. We all know that Jesus was born in... That was, that was pretty sad. <laughs> this is not a hard one. Jesus was born in... Yes, Bethlehem is the right answer. And then he was raised by his parents in Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth. But then as he becomes adult and steps into ministry, Jesus' home base shifts, and Capernaum is that place. And it's in this small town where Jesus feels comfortable and where his disciples are known and they are safe and protected. And you can see on the screen there a picture of what scholars believe Capernaum would have looked like in the first century. And that's kind of from land, looking out towards the Sea of Galilee. And then here's another shot, kind of a cool reenactment of what Capernaum would have looked like if you were sitting out in a boat on the sea. Just a small, quaint, safe little fishing town. But as we begin our story this morning, we learn that Jesus is now taking his disciples away from Capernaum. He's taking them across the Sea of Galilee to a place that feels much less quiet, much less quaint, a whole lot less safe. The disciples are going with Jesus across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Now, what is this region of the Gerasenes? It's a region that was on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, actually on the south, uh, on the southeast corner. And as a part of this region, there was a city known as Gerasa. And the people of Gerasa were known as the Gerasenes. But Gerasa was actually just one of a string of cities that were lumped together and that were well known as a part of this region. The region was called the Decapolis. Decapolis. Now, you can probably figure out what that word means just from piecing together a couple of English words. Have you ever heard the word deca as a part of a word before in our language? Say it with me. Decathlon. Oh, you didn't get it. Okay. Um, Decathlon. The Decathlon is an event of 
10 feats. Decathlon actually means 10 feats, 10 accomplishments. And that's what you're doing when you enter into a decathlon. And then the word polis, like Minneapolis, is just the Greek word for city. And so we have Decapolis, the region of the 10 cities. And these 10 cities uh, were a region um, filled with people who were not like Jesus and his followers. They were not like the Jewish people. They didn't act like the Jewish people. They didn't believe like the Jewish people. They didn't value the same things that the Jewish people valued. And yet, Jesus in our story today turns to his guys and says, the Decapolis is our destination. Let's go. You know, one thing about Jesus, and I think this applies so significantly to how we neighbor, is that he's always calling us across. I love that word in the, in the opening verse of this section. He says he's taking his disciples across the lake, across lines that divide, over obstacles that isolate people. Jesus is always pushing us beyond barriers that separate. You see, this is a series where we're literally talking about walking across the street, crossing over our property lines to our neighbors next door, looking across the fence. And yet, I believe in this series, Jesus is calling us to something so much more than just changing our physical proximity. You see, Jesus was always stepping across to connect with people. Stepping across to connect with people who were politically different, people who were socially unacceptable, people who were morally corrupt, people who caused the most religious individuals of his day to say things like this about him. Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You see, too often in the church, our message has been, just stay in Capernaum. Just stay where it's safe. Just huddle up and surround yourself with people who are like you. People who believe like you and think like you. People who are acceptable. You know, here's a question for you this morning. I want you to consider this today. As we think about our neighborhoods and our neighbors. Where is God calling you across? Where is he asking you to step over some imaginary human-made societal or even religious formed line so that you can love your neighbor as yourself, so that you can enter their world and truly love them? You know that this means, friends, to love your neighbor as yourself. It means that you will have to spend time with people who aren't at all like you. It means that God will call you to hang out with folks who might offend your sensibilities, folks who wouldn't fit in church. Or maybe they should. Maybe they should fit in church. Maybe we've believed for too long that those people, those people not like us, they don't belong here, they don't fit here. But what if they did? What if Cedar Mill Bible Church was a place where those people felt welcomed? Those people felt free. Those people felt accepted to doubt and question and wrestle and struggle and ask and seek and discover. What if those people in your neighborhood that you've thought for so long wouldn't connect here, wouldn't fit in here, wouldn't feel welcomed here? What if they did? What if our community said, we will not isolate them any longer? 
What if you took a chance, built a relationship, and then invited them to come? When Amy and I were first married, uh, she did some, some pretty awesome neighboring. She was a teacher in an elementary school, and she was the music teacher, which means she had contact with like every other teacher in the building. And the teachers in that building were very diverse. A, a lot of different people, a lot of different shapes and sizes and beliefs and lifestyles. And, and yet, at some point, because my wife is who she is, she stepped across the line and she stepped into the lives and into the world of some folks in that school. And as a result of that, we were invited to this gathering that they called Game Night. Now, game night was just a night where the teachers from this elementary school and their spouses or significant others or friends would gather to play crazy games like gestures and charades and other things. And it was actually a ton of fun. And we started going to game night and we started to build relationships. And before long, the crowd at game night began to evolve. And there was a particular night that I'll never forget when all of a sudden I looked around at the folks I was hanging out with at this game night and I realized... One of these folks doesn't fit with the others. And I was the one of these folks. There was no one in the room that thought like me or believed like me or maybe even valued like me. And yet, what I discovered was this. I like these people. They're lots of fun. They are very honest. They are very real. They give me space to be myself. And I made a decision that I was going to do the same for them. You know what, friends? You can enter into a relationship. You can walk across the street or the yard. You can look over the fence. You can cross the lake into the lives of other people. And guess what? Even if they aren't Christians, even if they don't think like you or look like you or believe like you, you can really like them. You can enjoy them. They don't just have to be a a project or a checklist. You don't have to hold yourself back and be constantly reserved. You can fully and completely engage with them. You're allowed. In fact, I would say, if you're going to be like Jesus, you're called to. Because Jesus did that all the time. Here's another question. When is the last time you made religious people uncomfortable by the people you hung out with? When was the last time you found yourself in a group and you thought, I'm not sure my church friends would really fit in here? When was the last time you allowed yourself to build a real relationship with a group of people that didn't look at all like you? See, Jesus is now inviting his followers to join him in that. He's saying, come with me across the lake and let's learn something about what it looks like to be neighbors together. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Does anyone have a neighbor that this sort of describes? Anyone? Anyone have a neighbor like this? No one has a neighbor this bad. And that's the point here. Jesus is saying, if I can love this man, if I can enter into the life of this man, then maybe, just maybe, your neighbor doesn't look so tough. And here's the picture. 
Jesus and his disciples have, have come across the lake. They have walked across the street with some homemade cookies. But this neighbor is not real excited to see them. And what Mark is showing us here, friends, is this. In this world, kingdom living, kingdom love, loving your neighbor will often be met with opposition. Loving your neighbor will sometimes evoke resistance from the very people you have showed up to love. Let me tell you something about you. And I know it's true about you because it's true about me. One thing that keeps you from gospel neighboring is that you reach out to a neighbor. You'll reach out, you'll say hi, you'll smile, you'll invite them over, you'll bring over a bunt cake or some cookies. And if they don't instantly receive you, accept you, want to be best friends and come to church the next Sunday, you give up. Well, I tried. Did it. Gave cookies. Never got a, never got a re-invite. Right? Obviously, they don't want to be friends. Obviously, the door is shut. God, I did my duty. And now we're out and moving on. Friends, what you need to understand from this passage, what Jesus is showing us here, what he's teaching his disciples is this. If we are gospel neighboring, if we are coming with the love of Jesus into people's lives, if we're seeking to make Jesus known in this world, which is, by the way, the mission of our church, to make Jesus known, the Bible tells us this time and time again, there will be forces working against us. There are forces in this world that do not want to make your loving your neighbor efforts easy. See, loving your neighbor, it sounds so cuddly and nice and cute and sweet and simple. And yet, I would argue that more often than not, it will not be well received. But friends, here's the thing, and this is really important to hear. Resistance and rejection are not the same thing. Resistance and rejection are not the same thing. In fact, sometimes people who resist the gospel outwardly are actually people who are fervently searching for it inwardly. Just because someone resists you, just because someone resists your love or attention or help, just because someone resists the gospel and invitation does not mean they are not interested in in God. I played basketball at a small college in Nebraska for four years, and it was my freshman year when I really gave my life to Christ. And that was a beautiful thing, except for that it was really hard to be a Christian on the basketball team. The team was largely, and by largely I mean everybody but me, non-Christians. And it was sort of an antagonistic atmosphere um, in which to to sort of grow. And I was trying to figure out what it meant to learn, to to follow Christ, and to like live for Him, and at the same time be a part of this team. And I have to tell you, that team was ruthless. And the ringleader of the team... The guy who probably made the most fun of me was our point guard, a guy by the name of A.D., Adrian Ducumbe. And A.D. was a big personality. He was the leader of the squad, and he took every opportunity he could to point out the fact that I was doing something or wasn't doing something that everyone else was to make fun of me for being a follower of Jesus. He was also the first person to point out if I ever blew it, if I ever said something I wasn't supposed to say or acted in a way that wasn't consistent with being a follower of Jesus, he was the first person to point his finger and yell, hypocrite. 
AD lived large and in charge, and by that I mean it was it was a fairly wild and robust college experience. He was probably the model for pagan college living. I don't think I have ever seen anyone live a more worldly lifestyle than AD. No one in the world was farther from Jesus than this young man. But as it turns out, the entire time AD was resisting, he was searching. And my senior year in college, when AD, he was a couple years older than me, was a grad assistant coaching our team. He gave his life to Jesus and he surrendered it all. You've never met a more sold out follower of Jesus than Adrian Ducumbe. That guy was on fire. And he went from harassing me, the only Christian on the team, to evangelizing everybody on the team and pounding it into their brains that following Jesus was the greatest and only way to live your life. You see, friend, friends, what Jesus teaches us here is expect resistance when you go to love your neighbor, when you go to share the gospel, when you go to give your life to someone, expect resistance, but don't confuse it with rejection. Verse 6, when he, that's the demon-possessed man, saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Now remember, this is the same guy that no one in the entire region of the Decapolis could bind This is the guy that no one could subdue. This is the guy that not even chains could hold him. That is how powerful of a man he was. This is like the incredible Hulk possessed by demons. And yet, when Jesus shows up on the scene, what happens? He's instantly on his knees begging and pleading for mercy. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. You see, what Mark is telling us here is that Jesus is now in a showdown, not, not just with one demon, but with an entire legion from the forces of hell. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. Now, let's talk about these pigs for a minute. My wife uh, asked me this week what I was preaching on this weekend, and I told her, you know, it sounds kind of crazy, but I'm going to take a chance and preach on the the legion of demons that possesses the guy. And she's like, is that the one with the pigs? And I said, yeah. And she's like, I hate that passage. And I was like, I didn't think you were allowed to hate passages from the Bible. Like, I didn't think that was permissible, but apparently it is for her. No, and she was saying, like, it just makes Jesus, you know, he, he, Jesus doesn't like pigs. He doesn't like animals. And you have to understand that in our house, we love animals. We are an animal-loving family. In fact, in our house, we catch and release bugs. Like they, seriously, that's, that's the family we live in. Like, it's full Oregonian up in here. We, like, catch the fly and release. That's what my kids think is normal. So if they're, they're at your house, don't scar them by killing any bugs. So that's the level of love we have for animals. And so my wife's like, why does Jesus hate the pigs? I don't think Jesus hates the pigs. There's just a point being made here. Jesus loves pigs. He's pro-pig. 
He's like a big Charlotte's Web fan on the side. But what the author is teaching us in this moment is the power of Jesus. And he wants us to see just how tremendous his power is in this scene. Notice verse 13. This is my favorite phrase of the passage. He gave them permission. These are, this is a legion of demons. A legion in the ancient world was thousands. We have a, a pretty good guess that this was about 2,000 demons inhabiting this man. 2,000 demons wreaking havoc in his life, tearing apart chains, you know, terrorizing the townspeople. Jesus shows up and now all 2,000 are on their knees begging and pleading for mercy from Jesus. Jesus, please, 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 pretty please, can we just go into the pigs? And you can just see Jesus sitting there thinking, you have my permission. Like how much power does he have? How much authority is seen in this man, Jesus? an entire legion of demonic forces, and Jesus controls them with ease. Pigs to the Jewish people were like the lowest, dirtiest, most vile, disgusting creatures on the face of the earth. That's why they're depicted here. That's why things play out here. The message is being sent to the Jewish audience. Uh, These pigs are are disgusting, and yet the demons will choose the disgusting pigs instead of stand toe-to-toe with the power of the almighty living God of the universe. You ever notice why there aren't stories about pigs in the Bible? There's really only two. Um, This one, and do you remember the other one? Prodigal son. Prodigal son, right? Gets his inheritance. He takes off to a foreign land. I wonder what land that would be, right? Right? Land where there's lots of towns that are kind of like Vegas, maybe 10 of them. And he squanders his wealth, and then he ends up feeding pigs. Scholars believe this is exactly where the prodigal son landed, in the Decapolis. And so again, what we're being shown by Jesus in this moment, as he drives the demons into the pigs, is this. The power of Jesus is so overwhelmingly greater than the forces of evil in this world, that they are like pigs compared to him. That the forces of hell would rather inhabit the lowest, most vile creatures in the world than stand toe-to-toe with the living God. They are as far beneath him as they can possibly be. Now, why does this matter when it comes to neighboring? Here's why. When you walk across the street, when you lean over that fence, when you go next door and step into the lives of people in your neighborhood, far from God, remember this. You don't go alone. You walk in with the power of the one whose name makes the demons tremble. The power of the risen Christ, the same power that caused 2,000 demons to flee into 2,000 pigs, goes with you. That's the power that you have. That's why you have confidence in neighboring. That's why you can give yourself away time and time again. That's why you can be bold and confident and assertive. That's why you do not have to be afraid. Because you have Jesus. You know, friends, I I sometimes feel this pressure. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's because I'm a pastor and there's some extra pressure attached, but I'm guessing not. I'm guessing that you feel the same. I feel this pressure when I'm talking with neighbors and I'm loving my neighbors and I'm trying to be a good neighbor and represent Christ um, amongst the people that live right around me. I feel this pressure to perform, 
Sometimes I feel this pressure to be, to be winsome or smart or funny or righteous or just amazingly helpful because if I'm good at all these things, then, then they'll be attracted to me. And if they're attracted to me, they'll be attracted to Jesus and maybe they'll come to church. And so it's all on me. And let me tell you, friends, that's a dead-end road. Because if being helpful around the neighborhood is a requirement for being a good neighbor, which I think it is, how often do your neighbors just need help with something, right? They just need help fixing something or retooling something. Or I, I got nothing. I'm the least helpful person there ever could be. And so if it depends on me, if it's all on my shoulders, we are in big trouble. And yet it's not. Jesus says, it's not on you. Again, the goal of this series is not try really hard to be a great neighbor. Show them that you've got it all together. Prove to them that like, you're such a winsome, funny, delightful person. The more delightful you are, the better Jesus looks. It's your job to make Jesus look good. Didn't you know that? No, it's not your job to make Jesus look good. It's Jesus' job to make Jesus look good. It's Jesus who will make you look good. But let me tell you what gospel neighboring looks like if it doesn't look like be winsome and smart and funny and righteous and happy and amazingly helpful. Here's what it looks like. Here's gospel neighboring. When you're weak, he's strong. When you're broken, he does the repair work. Friends, what if instead of being a strong, attractive, winsome, funny, we've got it all together, righteous neighbor, you were just a gospel neighbor? You were just a person desperately in need of the grace and love of a mighty God. You're just a person who struggles with things and wrestles with stuff, but has experienced the tremendous grace and love of Jesus in your life. Amy and I had some neighbors in Ventura. They lived on the other side of us from Carol. Some of you were here a few weeks ago when I talked about Carol. She was our tough neighbor. On the other side of us were like the model neighbors. Dave and Ruth. Dave and Ruth, they were an older couple. Um, And by older, I mean they were about the age of our parents. And they were just wonderfully delightful people. Cheerful, happy, helpful. Dave was like an auto mechanic, and so he would fix the cars of the people in the neighborhood. He was constantly offering to do things around my house. There were single moms and struggling people up and down our street, and everybody knew Dave. He was constantly doing things for everyone. Everyone knew him. Everyone loved him. He just seemed to be the perfect guy. They were the perfect couple. And in California, because property is so valuable, you live like three feet from your neighbors. So like, I could reach out and touch Dave's house and touch my house. And you never cl- shut your windows there because it never rains there, so, um, which is not always a good thing. And so your neighbors know everything that's going on with you. And I remember thinking to myself, uh, uh, for the first few years we lived there, I don't think Dave will ever want to come to our church. Because Dave has heard everything that's happened in my home. He knows I'm a pastor, and I'm not a terrible guy, but he's heard me at my best, and he's heard me at my worst. He's heard me yell at my kids. He's heard my wife and I have an argument. He's heard everything. He knows what's happening in my home. And so the chances of getting Dave to our church is slim to none. But that wasn't true. You know, as it turns out, having it all together wasn't as powerful as being authentic. And we built a great relationship with Dave and Ruth, and eventually they started coming to our church. 
And then because Dave knew everyone on our street, some other people from our street started coming to church as well. And the elders noticed this and they said, wow, you must be a great neighbor, Pastor Dave, that these people from your church are coming and you got, you're just high marks for you. And I took full credit for it. I just, no, I didn't. I was like, no, it's not me. I, I, I'm actually surprised. It's this guy, Dave, who just loves our church and starts inviting people. And he and his wife were just sort of like the joy of the neighborhood. And... Again, friends, I just have to challenge you with this fact. Authenticity, I think, trumps we've got it all together every time. People aren't really looking for other people who have it all together. No one likes to be around those people. Why? It just makes me feel worse about myself. Oh, look at me. I'm perfect. How do you feel about you, crummy? Right? How about, hey, look at me. I'm not perfect, but a loving God has forgiven me. And has filled me and helps me. Want to meet him? One of those sounds a whole lot better. Authenticity trumps you've got it all together every single time. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus. They saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their their region. What's funny about this story is that this is the point when Jesus is finally rejected. And he's actually rejected by the exact opposite uh, people that you think he should be rejected by. You'd expect him to be rejected by the demon-possessed man. He's not. He's rejected by the townspeople. These are the people who we would expect to see this guy healed and restored and not terrorizing their their kids in their neighborhood and to see Jesus and what he did for him and to say, Jesus, we love you. Thank you for coming. How can we receive you? And yet in this passage, we read that they say, Jesus, we want nothing to do with you. They reject Jesus. You see, again, sometimes I'm tempted to think that if someone rejects me if they don't want to be friends, if they don't want to engage in conversation about the gospel or come to the church where I'm a pastor, that I must have done something wrong, that I must not be a good enough Christian. And yet Jesus says that's not true. Even Jesus was rejected. Following Jesus always involves being rejected. If you don't like being rejected, don't follow Jesus. He is the rejected one. He's the rejected king. There's this great passage where Jesus sends his disciples out to share about the kingdom. He sends them out. It's like their first chance to go out and share about God and the kingdom of God and all that God's doing and the redemption and love and grace that's coming into the world in Christ. And so they go out to share and Jesus sends them out with some very specific instruction. He says, guess what, guys? I know this news sounds great and you think it's the best thing ever and you're fully expecting for everyone to receive you, but not everyone will. Some will not want this message. Some will not see their need for it. Some will see the cost of following me and they will not be willing to pay it. And then Jesus says this. He says, If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. Now sometimes we kind of get fleshly about this and we think what Jesus is saying here is well if people won't receive Jesus then forget them like shake the dust off my feet on you like deal with it with God you're in big trouble no 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 right 
And yet that's not what Jesus is getting at here at all. To shake the dust off your feet when you leave was a very common Jewish image, meaning that you were not to carry or bring any part of that interaction with you. Shaking the dust off your feet was not about something you were saying to them. It was something you were saying to yourself. It was something that you were minding your soul of. And that's this. Their rejection does not define you. You don't have to carry it with you. Friends, some neighbors are ready and open for a relationship, for your love, for the love of God, to hear the gospel, to get an invitation to church. Some aren't. Some aren't. And guess what? That's not about you. It's not about you. Their rejection does not define you. In fact, part of this series is learning to just discern Who are the people that live around me that are open, that are willing, that want to engage, that want to receive the love I want to offer them? Do they have to come to church next week? No, they do not. But are they open to you in any way? Some neighbors aren't open. Some are just going to drive in their garage, shut the garage door, and never even speak to you. Guess what? That's okay. They're not ready right now. Maybe they'll be ready later. Don't give up on them. Shake the dust off your feet. Don't let their rejection define you. Pray and look for an opening. Because you never know when God's going to open their hearts. You just never know. As Jesus, this is the closing section. This is is good stuff. Jesus has now freed this demon-possessed man. He's, He's driven the demons out of him. He is now in his right mind for the first time and who knows how long. The, t- the townspeople are deathly afraid of the power they've seen in Jesus. They've asked him to leave their region and now we read this. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. How did the gospel come to the Decapolis? Through this one guy. You see, friends, neighboring is about understanding that God didn't save you out of your world, but he saved you to be a light in it. You see, God has put you right where you are. He's placed you right in the neighborhood where you live. And he's given you his power, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power that makes demons flee. And he says, now, shine. Love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love those people that I've placed right around you. Love them as yourself. Just love them. You know, I heard an amazing story this week about an eight-year-old kid. And this particular kid was kind of a nerdy kid. He was kind of a clumsy kid. He was kind of a chubby kid. And he was always getting picked on. And there was this one tiny group of bullies that lived close to him. And they were always chasing him and harassing him, calling him Fat Freddy. That was their favorite name for him. Fat Freddy, Fat Freddy. And one day, this group was harassing him again. And he was on the run. And before they could get to him, he made his way to the home of an elderly woman in his neighborhood. And he prayed and prayed and prayed as he ran up the stairs that she would be home to let him in. And she was. And this woman took him in. And she protected him and she encouraged him and she helped him. And they started seeing each other more and more. And Fat Freddy 
grew up, and as he did, he said, his faith in God. In fact, the entire direction of his life was shaped by this one particular neighbor. By the way, Fat Freddy is now known by you as Fred Rogers, a.k.a. Mr. Rogers. You see, that's, that's part of the reason why the neighborhood became such a precious thing to him because he'd experienced the shelter and salvation and love and peace and hope that just one neighbor can offer a struggling little chubby kid who's getting picked on. See, that's the power of neighboring. That's the power of love your neighbor as yourself. And that's God's plan. You say, what's God's plan to advance his kingdom in the world? It's just you and your neighborhood. And you say, I don't have what it takes. And he says, yes, you do. You have the power of the living God in your soul. So will you go? Will you walk? Will you just step across whatever line into whatever life God is calling you to step into? Because God can and God will do amazing things through you, just little old you. And friends, it's not just you. It's us. Look around this room. What if all of us just caught the vision, caught the Jesus vision, the God vision, and planted on our soul to just love people and neighbor out of the strength and power of God right where we live? Think of the difference we could make. Just the people sitting in this room right now. Just Cedar Mill Bible Church. Do you think we could do something? You think God might use us to do something great in the lives of people that kids generations from now would look back and they'd say, here's where it all began. Some people from this church, this church in West Portland, they just loved me. They just showered me. They just showed me what the love of Jesus looks like. So today, as we close this series and we get out of here, I want to I end it in just a different way. And I'm just going to ask you to be bold and courageous and assertive and not shy about this. I just want to point out to you the kind of impact we would have. In just a second, I'm going to put your neighborhood up on the screen. And when I do, I'm going to ask you to stand. And when you stand, just stay standing. You down? You don't have a choice because I'm really fired up right now. So I will come down there and make you stand. Because God is on the move and he has great stuff for us. And he can and will do wonderful things. This is your neighborhood. Just go ahead and stand up. You're from Hillsboro. You got any Hillsboro people in here? The Fagerbergs were in the first service. That was like half the back section. Um... We got some Hillsboro folks. Pastor Ron lives in Hillsboro. I should see more people from Hillsboro. Pastor Ron, you better get home and get busy. <laughs> Aloha, who's from Aloha? Yeah, we got some Aloha people. That's your hood. How about Beaverton? So, now I heard a lady from Cedar Hills that gave me like some snotty, like we are not from Beaverton, we're Cedar Hills, and the map is wrong. I don't care if you're in that area that's shaded. Stand on up and claim your neighborhood. From Beaverton, who's from Tigard? Got any people driving up from Tigard? Tigered people, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm talking about. Tigered. What else? Click. I don't know what's next. Rock Creek. Who lives in Rock Creek? We got some Rock Creekanites. I don't know what we call Rock Creek people. Um, Oak Hills. We got Oak Hills. Oak Hills is a cool little neighborhood. Pretty close to us. A lot of folks from Oak Hills. Bethany. The Parkett people. That Parkett better be packed out, Bethany. After this sermon and this sermon series, don't let me see like four kids up in that park. I will be upset. Cedar Mill. We're Cedar Mill Bible Church. We better have some folks from Cedar Mill. Yes. All right. West Sylvan. That's my hood. Yeah. West Sylvan. Represent. Um, Northwest Portland. 
Northwest Portland. You know what? Yeah, you are. We have a family that came here from Northwest Portland. We haven't had a lot of families from Northwest Portland. We've got a new family that's been coming about six months from Northwest Portland. And they've got like 20 families coming here in six months. They're on fire and people are coming. So the rest of you better get busy about that. <laughs> Southwest Portland. Southwest Portland. That's what I'm saying. The Chandler clan. Yeah. Um, what's next? Downtown Portland. Downtown. We have a couple... Are you downtown, Todd? No. You're, still, you're just getting up slow from Southwest. Um, I need to see a little more enthusiasm from you for Southwest, you know. Um, all right. Lake Oswego. Lake O. I know we got some Lake O folks. They're not here today, I guess. <laughs> Slackers. East Side. We had like six people from the East Side in first service. I was super stoked. Yeah, the East Side. There you go. All right. Other neighborhoods. Let me see who's, who's the farthest away today. Vernonia, Banks, Vernonia. That's a good one. Banks, Vernonia. Say again. Timber. Timber. We got people, anyone farther than Timber? Coos Bay, Oregon. That's good. That's what I'm saying. Hey, in our service this morning. Oh, who's over here? From Maine. I'm changing our vision statement. Cedar Mill Bible Church taking over the whole nation. This morning we had some folks from Ventura, some friends of ours who were up from Ventura. We also had a couple from New York City, or New York State, actually. It was awesome. All right. Think about it, friends. What if we in this room just went out to neighbor on that map? And what if people all over this city just started experiencing the love of Jesus? Not because you're perfect, not because you got it all together, but just because you've experienced the transforming power of a God who loves you even though you don't have it all together. That's called neighboring friends. What's your next step? What's your next step? Do not walk out of here today without a next step because this is a fun series. It's fun to stand. It's fun to see the map. But what's the next step with one neighbor? Who's the person God's put on your heart? Where's he calling you to walk across? Is it a barbecue? Is it a dinner invite? Is it a bag of cookies? Is it a long conversation that you've been meaning to have that you haven't had yet? Is it someone just needs you to go over and listen to them and, and talk to them about their struggles and be a listening ear and care for them? Maybe it's just going to a neighbor and saying, I'd like to pray for you. You know, people love it when you pray for them. People in our world, they don't love God, but if you ask them to pray, they will let you pray. And when you pray, God will work. So church, go. This is it. There's no closing song. We already did communion. It's over. Now you're just going to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We'll see you next week.